0: All right, go ahead and have a seat. My name's Paul. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, What do you think of when you see one of these signs? You think you better pay attention, (laughs) right? There's something that is a hazard somewhere close by. Uh, You need to watch your step. It's an image you can see in a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different locations. But if you're paying attention and you see the sign, most of the time you can avoid The hazard, right? This is for people that aren't paying attention most of the time, right? Isn't that the truth? Well, what about this sign? (laughs) Right? Some signs give a little bit more information, uh, like this one. I'm hoping I'm paying attention when I walk along and I see this sign, because for some reason, this person has a crocodile in their basement. Uh, Yeah, so if you fall down the stairs, you're going to get eaten by the crocodile. Um, What about this one? You know, I'm honestly not real sure what's happening here, but I don't want to be the guy that falls into the rolling tubes of death, (laughs) right? So if I'm up on this platform and I see this sign, I'm going to be extra careful to be sure that I don't fall and get squeezed between these rolling tubes. Um, There are lots of places where this command to watch your step is literally a matter of life and death. Like, for instance, if you saw this sign... You wouldn't gather up your friends and start a flag football game out in the field, (laughs) right? This is a matter of life and death. This is real for a lot of people in a lot of places. There's still landmines that are active in different countries, and people can't go through certain parts of of the fields in their area for fear of losing their life. So this is not a sign to mess around with. You'd think this idea of watching your step would kind of be common sense. But if you've ever had a child and walked with them in places, you know that it's something we we have to learn. We have to learn when it's important to be careful how we walk and and where we step. I can remember walking on my grandma's farm with my dad and we're either heading out to, uh, to hunt in a certain area or we're carrying fishing rods and tackle boxes to head to one of the ponds to fish. And I had to learn the hard way that walking through her pasture, you needed to be careful where you stepped because we needed one of these signs, right? (laughs) Cow patties in the area. Um, Everywhere you stepped was a potential hazard when you're walking through my grandma's farm. Someone could yell, watch out, right before you step in the street in front of a bus that's coming by because that's putting you in immediate danger, right? They say, watch out, they yell at you, and hopefully you react, and if you survive, you hopefully remember that experience, and you learn from that, and the next time you're about to step off the curb, instead of looking at your phone, you're checking the traffic. Right? Have you seen the people that walk right in front of cars because they're looking at their phone? I've never done that. Um, but most of the time, learning to watch your step is a little bit more of a controlled process. I found the best way to approach that when I'm teaching my own kids the importance of watching where we're going is to kind of follow a, a, a simple pattern, but I'm going to use big words. You'll notice your, um, your outline looks a little intimidating possibly today. There's a lot of information there, uh, and we tried to cut it down, and I just couldn't. So hopefully when we get out of here about 1130, you'll have all those filled in. No, it's not, it's not going to be that bad, but um, it, it does seem like a lot. But it's a really important process from these five verses, and this pattern of teaching is admonition, explanation, and expectation. Now, of course, I don't sit my kids down and go, okay, now here's the admonition. They don't understand what that means. Here's the expectation. Here's the explanation. They don't understand what that means. But it's this process of teaching um, that we use to help people understand how to navigate something next time in a way that's better, how to make it internal so that they don't have to be told to watch their step. Because... This command to watch your step is really important. Um, The explanation answers the question why, like our slide from before. The the answer to why you should watch your step is if you fall down my basement stairs, you're gonna end up in my crocodile's mouth. Um, That's the explanation. The, The expectation is if you follow the command, this is the result you can expect in your life. So you follow the command to watch your step. When you're going down my basement stairs, you're gonna end up alive instead of losing a limb. To my pet crocodile. <laughs> that joke isn't getting old, is it? That's so funny. Uh, now, when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he wanted them to know the incredible blessing of who they were in Christ. And then he gave them some principles for how that new identity would play itself out in their lives. And again, our series is called Know and Do. So the first three chapters, he talks about what you can know about who you are in Christ. Incredible, rich um, understanding of our relationship with God and all the benefits that that brings into our life and then he starts the do section and right here in the middle of the do section there's kind of this summary in verses 5 15 through 20 of chapter 5 and that's our passage today this little summary and he follows this pattern of teaching he has an admonition he has some explanation and then he gives us an expectation so he has a command He explains why it's important to follow that command, and then he tells you what the expectation is in your life if you follow that command, what your life will look like. And so it's a super important picture of how to approach our life as followers of Jesus. So before we dive into that passage today, let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we have your word to teach us. I thank you that we have people like the Apostle Paul who can give us this command to watch out to watch how we walk, to watch where we step. And we can take that information and we can we can hear his explanation and then we can put that into practice and see those results that are expected when we do things your way. God, I just pray that in this room today, we would be open to hearing your command, to understanding the explanation. And then putting that into practice so we can see those expected results. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for this time together in Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, our passage today is Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. It's going to be close to the end of your Bible. It's one of the thin books in the New Testament where Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. If you need to use a Bible, they're in the seats in front of you, uh, underneath or... um, Look on with a friend that's next to you, but uh, if you find Ephesians 5, uh, we'll be in 15 through 20. So let me read that for us. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So the first part of this teaching process, what was the big word I used? It's the admonition, okay? The admonition, that's the command. And we see this in verse 15. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And there's two key concepts here there's the walking and there's the wisdom. Okay? Well, how do you walk? It's pretty simple. There's a repetition of steps, right? To go anywhere walking, you have to have a repetition of steps. And as you continue this repetition of steps, then you have a journey. Well, this is the picture that Derek gave us a few weeks ago when he had the old painted coat that Callie used when she was painting the house or something, right? I think Derek's responsible for quite a few of the stains too. But uh, they had, he had this old comfortable coat, had stains all over it. It represented the old self. Do you remember that? And then he would take it off. He said, God told us to put off the old self and put on the new self. So he grabbed the new snazzy jacket that he got, and he put on right the clean, nice new jacket. It represents Uh, What God's called us to do, put off the old self, put on the new self from Ephesians chapter 4. Well, putting off the old self and putting on the new self, that's taking steps in your walk. That's a spiritual step. When you repeat those steps, your walk becomes a spiritual journey. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about walking with God. It's a constant process of putting off the old self and putting on the new as he continues to show things to us and convict us and teach us. So just put that picture in your mind of the the coats. And here's what it says in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So every time you submit to this process, whenever you allow God to convict you and teach you And shape you whenever you take off the old self and put on the new self then you've taken a step in your walking with god that's why we talk about at the end of the service do you need to take any next steps in your spiritual journey because that's what it's about it's about taking another step in your walk with god and as you repeat those steps you go on a spiritual journey with him the second concept is wisdom Uh, this brings us to the importance of not just where we walk but how we walk. Wisdom is talking about the how. Uh, Think of it like a tightrope walker. Have you ever seen a tightrope walker? They string that wire from one place to the other. Where they walk has been determined already, right? You're not gonna take a new path when you're doing a tightrope walk. You're gonna stay on the tightrope. But what are they thinking about the whole time? They're thinking about their balance. They're thinking about their next step. How far should I go? Does my foot have the grip I need before I transfer my balance to my other foot? So they're, they're thinking about how they are walking every moment as they're going across that tightrope. The where's been determined already. That's what wisdom's about. It's the how. It's thinking about every step. Uh, this is the admonition Paul is given, giving in this verse. He says, look carefully. Take care to use wisdom with each and every step. Now, what do you think of when you think of the word wisdom? Unfortunately, I think we picture it as something outside of ourselves. We picture it as something to see and admire in someone else, but not something we can have ourselves. And Paul is refuting that. He says, you can walk with wisdom. Actually, wisdom is an integral part of what it means to to walk with Jesus, It's not just something you see and admire in someone else. It's a foundational principle of following Jesus that you can have yourself through the power of God. This idea of walking with wisdom leads us to the explanation. So that's the command. He says, watch your step, walk with wisdom. It leads us to the second thing, the explanation, which we see in verses 16 through 18. And we're going to look at those verses one by one. Verse 16, he says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, as I was preparing for today and I was reading different commentaries and and studying what people thought uh, about this passage, I felt a little bit convicted because I had in my mind exactly what this verse means and I've thought about it that way my whole life. And then I think God said, you might have it just a little bit wrong. And so... There's a little bit of misunderstanding, I think, of the purpose behind this verse. At least there has been in my life. Let me explain. Um, What Paul's saying here is we need to understand the character of the world around us, the character of the life that we are dealing with when we're living here in this world. He's beginning to explain, again, what it means to walk with wisdom. And he starts by saying that the evil days create opportunities. And this is the part I had messed up. He's not talking about just proper time management and how it's important to to be sure all your minutes are figured out. That's an important part of it so that you'll be free and able to say yes to God when when he brings things to your heart. But his primary concern can be figured out when we truly understand the meaning of the phrase, making the most of. When he says making the most of the time because the days are evil, The word that he uses there for that phrase is the same one that's used in other parts of the New Testament for the word redeeming. So he means redeeming the time. Redeeming means to buy up. So to to buy up the time because the days are evil. Now, think about it this way. It's like going shopping, and you're looking for things on sale because you know they won't last long. And so you're going to take advantage of that opportunity. You're going to buy up the thing on sale. To, to make the most of your time out shopping. It's a similar idea. I have to do that because I'm such an average person that if anything goes on sale, my sizes are always gone first because it's like the most popular size. Um, in some ways, I wish I was a little, you know, not average, whatever. But uh, I have to get there first in order to, to make the most of those sales. Um, that's the word he uses here. Walking wisely means that we redeem the opportunities... Created by the evil days in which we live. Redeem the opportunities created by the evil days in which we live. Now that's kind of an uh oh moment because it seems a little opposite to the way a lot of Christians view the evil of our day. Don't we mostly view it as an obstacle or a source of defeat or pressures that make it unable for us to live as Christians? But Paul says the evil of our day, which is against us, it is against us, it actually makes the opportunity of redemption possible. Because if we weren't under pressure, how could God manifest his grace in our lives? There's no need for it if there's no pressure. If we didn't go through trials, how could God demonstrate that his power is sufficient? We go through trials so we learn to rely on God and we know that he's the only source for the strength we need to get through the things we face in this life. It's the evil days that create opportunities for God to work and to receive glory in and through us. The evil days create the opportunity for followers of Jesus to demonstrate the truth of that new self that we find in Christ, that new coat that, we're, that we put on, the righteousness that can only come from God through Jesus that we are able to put on when we accept him as our Lord. And Savior. So these difficulties are not present to set you back. They are opportunities for God's redemption to be on full display. So make the most of the time. Let God work and let God shine in your life. And in verse 17, Paul keeps this explanation going by saying, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what's the will of the Lord? He he's, sounds like there's some, a universal will of the Lord, right? He's not talking about what job you should have or who you should marry or where you should live. He's talking about something universal. What is it that God wants out of every situation? Again, every opportunity to redeem the time. And we get so caught up in thinking about God's will in terms of guidance Referring to God guiding us about what we should do next, that I think sometimes we miss it. That's a small part of the concept. Because as we've seen in other passages, God is not primarily concerned with what you do, your outward actions. What's God's primary concern? It's your heart. It's the inward person. It's who you are becoming as he continues to convict you and teach you, as you take those steps that we talked about. He's much more focused on who you are because when the inward person is sorted out, the outward actions take care of themselves. Right? If you're just worried about the actions, then you're just pretending. It's the inward person that changes. And as the inward person changes, then the outward actions take care of themselves. What you do is actually a relatively simple problem compared to straightening out who you are (laughs) and god wants to straighten out who you are and that's what paul is talking about in this verse not trying to get guidance about where to go or what to do next but remembering in every situation that god is seeking to shape us more to his likeness to be more like his son god doesn't waste any opportunity to teach us convict us and shape us into who he wants us to be why so that he receives glory which is to the benefit of the world. So God changes the inward person so that the outward actions flow so that the world sees his glory, his power through us. God's selfish in this way, right? All the glory belongs to him. And so when, when the world sees his glory in and through us, that's how he's designed it to be, for them to see the difference that he makes in our lives uh, so that they understand their need for that same difference we don't live by the standards and the general character of the world around us we live by faith focused on things of eternal value as we walk with god our faith transforms how we live so we live by faith focused on eternal things of value as we walk with god that's what he's talking about when he talks about understanding what the will of god is and then in verse 18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this isn't so much about getting drunk. This is, he's using one example of debauchery to give an overarching principle. You could put a lot of different things in this verse. Debauchery means overindulging in life's pleasures. So, Paul's giving us a contrast here between wise and unwise living in this one specific behavior. But again, it's an overarching principle. Why do people overindulge in worldly things? Why do we feel the need to overindulge, to to do this thing, this word, debauchery? To fill an inner emptiness, right? Right? A lot of people talk about filling an inner emptiness, or they'll talk about escaping the realities of the broken world. We just talked about how the days are evil. If you're not letting God redeem the time, you have to, people have to figure out a way to deal with that, and they a lot of times deal with that with overindulging in the things of the world. Or maybe they want to forget about themselves and their lives, something about it that's dissatisfying. It has not gone the way they wanted it to go, and so they look for a temporary, a momentary escape. And it can be shopping, it can be drinking, it can be all the different things that we overindulge in in this world. That's debauchery. And our tendency to overindulge points out the fact that we were created with an inner need to be filled. God created us empty on purpose to have our brokenness mended by what only he can do. The only filling that truly satisfied that need is the filling of the Holy Spirit that comes through surrender to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And you can try to overindulge in the things of the world all you want, but it will never fill the the God-designed emptiness in your life until you realize being created in his image, the only thing that will fill you is being in right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, wise walking involves pursuing and abiding in Christ instead of seeking satisfaction from the world. That's what that verse is talking about, using that one specific example. You know, think about Jesus when he met the woman at the well, walking through Samaria, and he's talking to her about water. He asked her for a drink, and he says, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me to give you water, right, because my water is different, and he uh, She says, well, where can I get this water? Where can I find it? And here's how he talks about it in John 4, verses 13 and 14. He says, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says the transformation that he brings into our lives through his saving power allows the well of living water to become a spring within us. Have you ever been around a spring? You know what a spring does? A spring flows, right? It never stops. It has some sort of source that we can't see, and it's a never-ending flow. That's what he's talking about here. The living water, the well is within you. That is the Holy Spirit. It's the only strengthening and filling that satisfies and supplies all that you need for any demand made on you. It's the Holy Spirit does the filling. And Paul says, don't try to meet those demands. Don't try to meet those pressures of life with artificial worldly means. Walking wisely means abiding in Christ, being filled from the well of the Holy Spirit within you. A never ending well of living water. That sounds pretty good. So, don't do it the world's way, do it God's way, and it's a never ending well of living water. Now, so that's all the explanation. He says, walk wisely, and here's uh, here's why. Now, let's see what the expectation is. If you do those things, what should your life look like? What's the expectation? Back to verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians chapter 5, we'll see what a wise spiritual walk looks like when it's practiced in our day-to-day lives. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now again, there's three key phrases here. The first one, he says, addressing or speaking to one another. One mark of a wise, spirit-filled life is that we will be talking about what God is teaching us and how he is working in our lives. You're going to be talking about what God's doing. There's going to be something going on in you as you abide with him, as you walk with him, as you put off the old self and put on the new self and continue to repeat those steps. Things are going to be happening in your life that we want to express that we want to share, that we want to include others in on. So speaking to one another. Paul says it another way in Colossians three sixteen. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So real similar, but he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This is part of what he expects to happen. As God moves in our lives, as we live in community, that information gets shared, and we sharpen one another as we, uh, as we talk about what God is doing, how he's moving, how he's growing us and our faith. It's another example of why community and relationships are so vital for followers of Jesus. This pursuit of wisdom is not something you're meant to do on your own. Think about a campfire. You've got all the nice hot coals in this campfire. But what happens if I take some tongs and I get one of the hot coals right out of the middle of that fire and I set it on a rock off to the side? What happens to that coal? It goes out, that's right. It slowly gets less and less bright and eventually is extinguished. Now if I grab it and stick it back in the fire, it can fire right back up, can't it? It's a good illustration of how followers of Jesus should live out their faith. As we live out our faith together, as we share with one another what God is doing and how he's working, it's like that that fire. If we put ourselves off to the side on a rock, it's really hard to keep it going. It will slowly (laughs) diminish and extinguish. So, we need each other. And we see that expressed over and over in Scripture. The second key phrase here is singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Thank goodness it says with your heart, right? <laughs> you'll, you'll get that later. Uh, thank goodness it says with your heart. But that's that is important. It's not just about singing songs. It's not just about making noise. We sometimes when we start our rehearsals, I say, okay, let's. Let's make some coordinated noise because, you know, we'll be like warming up and it's just all over the place. Coordinated noise is all music is, right? It's noise done together in a way that's pleasing to the ear. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about um, something inside us. You know, the, the first one was encouragement that we find and give to one another by expressing what we're learning and how God is working. This second one is an inward bubbling up. It's an overflow of our faith. When we're abiding in Christ, when we allow our filling to come from God, from that well of the Holy Spirit, then it overflows. It's the underlying peace and confidence that only comes by submitting everything to God's control. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, your life becomes a song of worship as you walk with God in faithfulness and wisdom. Your life is a song. That was actually a song a few years ago. Let my life song sing to you. Our life becomes the song when we're singing and making melody with our heart, when we're walking in a way that gives God um, honor and glory. It leads to an outward expression. It overflows to those around us. It's noticeable, and that leads to this last phrase, giving thanks always and for everything. Always and for everything. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone out to eat with a bunch of small children. <laughs> I have. Um, I've, gone, I've done that a few times. We were in a Sunday school class at one point in our lives, and it seemed like all of us had two kids under the age of four, and we used to always go out to eat, and slowly we started messing it up by having kids. You know, we, we were all friends before we had kids, and we went out to, to lunch all the time, and then the kids started coming along. And eventually this group of ten, these five couples, We couldn't go out to eat anymore because we needed a table for like 26 and the restaurant would basically shut down (laughs) because of all the nonsense from the kids. But it brings to mind a funny moment. You know, when you're saying the blessing, when you're saying thank you to God for the food, can you imagine saying thank you to God for the food as soon as you say amen, your kids start telling you how much they don't like what they're getting. I hate this. (laughs) I hate broccoli. Right? I'm not going to eat that. And you're paying $8.95 for the child's plate, and that's a little frustrating. Um, So they start talking, you've just said thank you, God, for this blessing. Thank you for this food. And the first words out of their mouth when you say amen are how much they hate whatever it is, how much they're not going to eat whatever it is. Well, a wise, closely abiding spiritual walk with Jesus gives thanks always and in every situation, even when you've got broccoli right? Even when life isn't going the way you think it should, because we know God has purpose in all things. We know that he never wastes an opportunity to teach us, convict us, and shape us. We know that's his will, so that the world around us can see the difference that God makes in our lives. We thank him even for the hard, messed up stuff. Remember, the evil of our day creates opportunities for God to show up. It's true even in our own lives. One of the more noticeable ways that walking wisely with God, it shows up in this exact scenario. When life from the world's perspective isn't treating us right, when we encounter the inevitable pain and heartache that's associated with this broken world, and still as followers of Jesus, we're able to give God thanks because of who he is and because of who we are in him when we understand the first three chapters of Ephesians and all the spiritual blessings that we've received by knowing God through Jesus Christ, we're able to walk wisely, giving thanks to God for everything, even the hard, messed up stuff. It's a sign of walking with Jesus and being filled by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're able to give thanks even when things aren't right from the world's perspective. And so, Paul tells us to watch our step, to live wisely. And I'm going to give you a big, long summary, and I hope it it, it connects. But he says, by making the most of opportunities to see God's redemption at work, allowing God to mold and shape our character for his glory, looking only to him as our source of purpose and fulfillment. That's the explanation. And the expectation is the transformed, wisely walking life will be characterized by encouraging one another with expressions of God's truth, an overflow of peace from within that can only come from God, and an attitude of thanksgiving in every situation because we know God's in control, and we know we can trust him. So in this second half of Ephesians, he gives several practical examples of how that transformed life of a Jesus follower plays out, some more specific, like last week, and in the weeks to come, we'll see some more specific examples of what it is we're supposed to do. But right here, in these five verses, he gives us this incredible summary that applies to all of life. Let me say it one more time. We, we watch our step and live wisely by making the most of opportunities to see God's redemption at work, allowing God to mold and shape our character for his glory, looking only to him as the source of purpose and fulfillment. The transformed, wisely walking life will be characterized by encouraging one another with expressions of God's truth, and overflow of peace from within, and an attitude of thanksgiving in every situation. Just like kids learning to walk through a pasture, <laughs> we have to learn how to walk wisely. And Paul takes this opportunity to teach us what that looks like for the Christian life. And again, the summary is in Ephesians 4 of what this journey is. He says, put off your old self to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That picture of the coats, I hope that sticks in your head for a really long time. Put off the old self, that old comfortable jacket that you've done all your life in. Put on the new self, the one that God's given you of righteousness and holiness so that you can walk wisely, allowing God to shape you and make an impact to the world around you as his glory is revealed uh, in the work that he does in you. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you that we can talk about walking with you. I thank you that because of your son, Jesus, we even have the opportunity of being right, of being called sons and daughters, of being full heirs with you, uh, uh, fully adopted into your family. God, of knowing the truth of who you are and and what you've done, and, and because of that, who we are and who you've made us. And so, God, I just pray that today, As we think about our walk, we would allow you to show us maybe places where we can grow, places where we can be more of who you've called us to be. God, I pray in these next few moments, no one would say no to what you call them to do, but that they would react and respond to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to